everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. I've got a big treat for you this week. I'm sure most of you will have heard of this wonderful woman called Amelia Freer. Amelia is a nutritionist. She studied for four years at the Institute of Optimum Nutrition. She has three books out. The latest one, which she very kindly gifted me and I've been cooking from, which is just beautiful book, beautifully shot and the recipes are just gorgeous. And it's called Nourish and Glow, The 10 Day Plan. Amelia is also mum to a little girl called Willow, who is just turned one. And she's just a lovely person. Amelia came to my house and we had such a good chat. Often what happens with recording the podcast is that I meet these people. I mean, I followed Amelia for years and I was just so excited to meet her and chat about her experience of motherhood. And I think we chatted for about an hour before we started recording, which often happens. And then the challenge is that we run out of time at the end. So I think we might have to do a part two because I definitely could have chatted to Amelia for a lot, lot longer. And she was incredibly honest. And yeah, she said that she hadn't really chatted about publicly her experience of motherhood. So I was really honoured that she chose Motherkind Podcast and our community to share her experiences with. And we talk about her journey to motherhood. It wasn't easy. Amelia reveals that she was actually told that she could never have children. So her little girl Willow feels like a real miracle to her. She's my miracle baby because I have been told that I was never going to be able to conceive a healthy child naturally and that my only options were egg donor or to have another carrier. We talked about her experiences of early motherhood and of course we talk about food and diet and how that changed for her and I ask her for some advice for you all. But I think more than that, Amelia brings a real sense of honesty to the challenges of being a entrepreneur and running her own business. She's quite funny in the way she shares her naivety that she thought she could just pick it all back up again as she had once before and what she's learnt about that. And she really made me think about how I try and juggle it all too. I had this ridiculous idea that because I worked from home and worked for myself, I would be able to do both. I thought it must be so hard for a mum who has to leave the house in the morning and go to an office and be gone all day that would be really hard whereas I can't say I can't work because I work from home it's easy (gasps) little did I know so I hope you really enjoy it I really really love this episode I never say I've got favorites because it'd be like choosing between my children but if I did this one would definitely be up there for me I hope you feel the same way and if you did please leave a review on iTunes thank you for everyone that has been leaving the reviews it does make a massive difference and pop over to Instagram and let Amelia and I know what you think of the episode here it is so Amelia welcome to the Motherkind podcast thank you so much it's lovely to be here I'm so excited and I just have to thank you because I reached out to you on Instagram I think so I've followed you for years oh that's lovely love your books love your philosophy oh and I sent Amelia a message saying would you do me the honor of this is the podcast would you come on and you replied and said 
Rudy listened and I, I was here on my own and I did a happy dance down oh, the kitchen. I love that. Because I think great. you're the first person I've looked up to and really admire professionally. Oh, that, thank you. That, and you said you were listening and it just blew me away. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it was a friend of mine who pointed me when I was saying, gosh, I'm finding this whole motherhood thing really hard and challenging. She said, oh, you must listen to the Motherkind podcast. And I think it was literally about the day before you got in touch with me. And I was just, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I've just listened to two of your episodes and then you sent me an email so it was meant to be yeah I mean I'm just a huge fan of synchronicity so yeah we're obviously meant to to be here and I'm sure everyone does know you but for those who don't can you just explain a bit about what you do and maybe a bit about your journey into motherhood and when you became a mum and okay so I'm a nutritional therapist that's been my work for gosh almost uh I've lost track I think 13 years now and I became a mum to Willow in September last year so she's almost a year old I was just telling you earlier she's my miracle baby because Mm -hmm. I had been told that I was never going to be able to conceive a healthy child naturally and that my only options were egg donor or to have another carrier so she is an absolute miracle as all children are but Mm -hmm. she is my miracle baby And what was pregnancy like for you? Well, I've had quite an unfortunate experience in that I've had multiple miscarriages and all of them were missed miscarriages. So I would always get to the 12-week scan and then find out that the baby had died and then I would have to have surgery to remove them. So I've been through that first trimester quite a few times, which, you know, is the worst. worst. So that was my sort of initial pregnancy experience. And then my husband and I did a round of IVF, but it wasn't actually the full IVF. We just wanted to see if we could look at the quality of the embryos that we were creating. And we were very lucky in that we created lots of embryos, but the doctor looked at them and I think we had 12 and every single one of them was genetically abnormal. At which point the doctor said, this is so unbelievably rare. You've clearly got chromosomal abnormalities. It's probably your age because you're old. Your eggs are therefore useless. And he said, with this kind of result, it's highly unlikely that you would ever be able to produce a healthy embryo. So we kind of walked away with that information and I was going through this grieving process of accepting that actually I wasn't going to be a mum, which is something I'd always imagined. And although I'd left it quite late, not on purpose, just hadn't found the man, it was a grieving process. But I suppose I'd been trying really hard to be the healthiest that I could be for so long to make my pregnancies successful. So I was doing acupuncture and I was doing just the long list. There's something kind of liberating. I kind of just stopped it all and I kind of gave up and I kind of drank too much at Christmas and I kind of just relaxed and I fell pregnant with Willow. And when, of course, when we found out that I was pregnant, we were both distraught because we thought, here we go again. We're going to have to go through the misery of the next three months and then be told the same old thing and go through that surgery yet again. So it wasn't really a very joyful experience, but there was something about that final pregnancy. I mean, I was floored. I couldn't function. And lots of people say you must have been really anxious. And I don't think it was even that. I just felt so ill. I was vomiting around the clock or, you know, feeling so nauseous. I couldn't really function, speak. I was just wiped out for those first three months. There was part of me that thought, this is a bit different, this is worse, this is stronger. Did you let yourself hope? I didn't, I didn't. I don't think so, I don't remember. Of course, you know, one always hopes, you always think maybe, just maybe, but given that we'd had this experience with all of the abnormal embryos, I just, and then even when we got the good news at the 12 week scan, I think we waited till 13 week, we did like a six week, a nine week and a 13 week where her heart was still beating. 
Nick just couldn't, he was too afraid to believe that she was going to be okay. And he was like, well, just because her heart's beating doesn't mean that she's okay. Remember, our embryos are genetically abnormal. What's going to be yeah. wrong with her? Blah, blah, yeah. blah. So there was a lot going on emotionally. But physically, you know, once I knew that she was okay, once we got to the 20 weeks and the doctor just kept saying, she just looks healthy. This just looks like a really normal were you, were you wait, pregnancy. Were you always waiting for something? Of course, Gosh, because of course you hear. so hard. Well, you hear all of these stories and you don't want to be so confident as to think, well, like, everything's yeah. fine. But I suppose, looking back, I did kind of have a quiet confidence. I'd never completely given up. I was just sort of figuring it out. But physically, I really didn't enjoy pregnancy. I felt bloated. I felt exhausted. I was out of breath. I got acne. It was not a blooming, glorious time that lots of people make I it out to be. I think it's so good for people to hear that because I think there's a perception that for someone experienced nutritional therapist, you clearly know how to look after your body. Yeah. It wasn't anything that you were doing quote-unquote wrong. That was no. just your experience of it. It was just, yeah, I mean, my body was completely taken over. Did you <laughs> surrender to it or were you completely like... Completely surrendered yeah. to it. I mean, I'm that kind of person. I'm not someone that stresses about that sort of stuff. I've never been someone that's worried about my food if it's all perfect. Like, I know some people have that tendency but for me I was quite relaxed and you know the food cravings were absolutely crazy what so were they what were for, they for me you know it was really it wasn't McDonald's or something no was it? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't probably you know I really wouldn't enjoy that but I remember just having a craving for like flaky pastry which really? is just not the kind of thing that I would normally no. eat and then one day my husband has lots of conferences at home and there was just this tray of sandwiches and I went in and I just I just couldn't get them in fast enough. And, you know, that's not the kind of... There's no judgment around it. It's just not the kind of things that I would choose to eat. They wouldn't make me feel well. They definitely didn't make me feel well, but it was just kind of... The hunger is giving just unreal, into, isn't it? Yeah, this crazy craving for carbs, which I just haven't experienced before. So <laughs> there were definitely some odd days that were not very Amelia-free and nutritional, but... <laughs> I just I think that's it. why I love you and I love your message so much because you talk about positive nutrition and you talk about flexibility with our diets yeah. and, and I just love to hear you talking about this because I think a lot of people having those cravings restrict it. I don't eat white bread so I'm not going to have this sandwich whereas to hear you just listening to your body and surrendering to it is such an important well, message. I think, I think if it had become like an all day every day thing I probably would have at some point put the stop brakes on yeah of course yeah uh, but I, I struggle with when people are rigid with their diets or rigid with their food beliefs I think that that's that's not good for our health so it's one thing to care about our health by eating well but I think it's got to be joyful and fluid and positive and not rigid and controlled and stressed and if you're fearing a food or trying to control not eating something that you want to eat I mean you know of course there's common sense there's limits like not doing something that's harmful to your body but mm. I didn't consider eating some sandwiches or having a bit of flaky pastry harmful of course that's not. just not harmful so yeah I did I did give into it and that's kind of how my approach has always been that way to nutrition yeah I think it's so refreshing especially in today's landscape where it seems like there's so much complexity lots of mixed messages lots know, of you know, know I guess Instagram as well lots of people saying this worked for me therefore it should work for everyone else yes and I think that's why people like you with your you know clearly your evidence base and your qualification your experience is so important with this message of it's an interesting point because I don't think I've always got it right I think social media is a huge social experiment and there was no guidebook on how to do it and I came from clinical practice where I'd be one-on-one -on -one and that gave me the privilege of being able to read someone and understand 
how things were going to work to them. So you can watch someone's response to suggesting a dietary change and see if that's going to be a stress for them or negative or positive, etc. And you can really take time to get to know their relationship with food and what's going to be a positive and joyful experience for them. Fast forward to me writing my first book and sharing what tended to be the things that I found most useful and most beneficial and positive when working with clients. But of course, you're generalizing and you're sending that out to the world and you don't know how the reader is going to take that. So, you know, I contributed to some of that, you know, people being a bit obsessive and fatty, like, oh, she says you must give up gluten, therefore you must do it. And, you know, it's been a huge learning curve for me to really carefully choose my words and understand that you just don't know when you're putting it out there in that way, how someone's going to receive Mm. that information. Mm. So I think It's it's a shame that social media has created this negative side to what I think should be really positive and but, but like you say it's so true you know you get an opportunity to do a book who wouldn't want to put their message to help more people I'm guessing that's where you came from with and, it the uh, energy was positive however of course and I have I to generalize I think on average you know the amount of emails that I've had from people saying yeah. that my books have changed their lives and helped them in a really positive way I think that that's 99.9 percent yeah, it's just a few people that Unfortunately, they're vulnerable in certain ways, and whether it be drugs, whether it be sex, alcohol, food, they're going to find something that is their negative experience. But, you know, still, I've taken responsibility for it, and I'm incredibly careful. Certainly my last book, I feel really proud of that, because I I feel like the message is, you know, it's giving everyone permission to experience their own journey with food and work out what the right diet for them is. And I think that's just so... It's not headline-grabbing, is it? But it's the truth from my limited perspective. It's been the truth for my journey with my body and food. It's actually just learning what feels good for me. And giving yourself permission to be okay with that and not follow every other fad or what everyone else is doing. Yeah. And how did you come to this? Did you have a disordered relationship with food that you healed, which I guess is quite a common story? Or Well, I wouldn't say it was disordered. I mean, I've been quite lucky too in that I've, I've always had quite a relaxed approach to food, hence why and learning that people can have really complex relationships with food or that, you know, the clean eating or the healthy eating thing could become negative for so many people was kind of like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. But I definitely didn't eat well in my teenage years it was a normal house my mum cooked a sort of evening meal and we had cereal for breakfast and I ate lunch at school yeah very so normal. normal yeah normal yeah um, but you know I definitely wasn't connected with food I would eat my vegetables if my mum made them but I would choose chocolate over vegetables anytime if I had the opportunity again very normal, normal. <laughs> but when I moved to London in my 20s I've said this so many times but I was just so excited at the access to junk food or or, I mean it's not even junk food really it's just the access to convenience food yeah I loved that I could buy this chocolatey pan au chocolat or chocolate twist thing on the way to work and I loved that I could buy sandwiches and crisps or baguettes and bagels and cool stuff that I just didn't have access to growing up so I kind of went crazy with all of that food I mean I'm just enhancing that I had no connection with what I was putting in my body and how it was making me feel yeah I didn't have diseases or anything serious but I just wasn't a really healthy girl I had really bad gut issues I had bad acne I had just very poor energy And there had been a lot of emotional stuff going on in my childhood with my father died when I was young. Mm. So there was probably that sort of stuff which I didn't really unlock until I got the nutrition side sorted and then I started to work on the emotional side because I think that they're hugely interlinked. Well, with clients, I think that our emotional well-being has a huge part in our general health and certainly our relationship with food. So I don't think we can ever ignore it. Mm. 
But for me, food was the way in, and that was my mm. sort of start. Mm. And then you went to see a nutritional so therapist then I saw yourself. A nutritional therapist, and it was just like the light bulb yeah. went off, and it was yeah. just so obvious to me all of a sudden. It, and she just explained things in such a practical and sensible way, and it was just, oh my god, why hadn't I thought of that? And you know, my dad was quite alternative, and he was quite interested in healthy eating and homeopathy, and he did yoga before anyone did yoga. Oh, wow! And, um, cool man. And it was kind of like a sort of reconnecting with him yeah. as well, which was quite lovely. But yeah, I mean, once I'd sort of seen the nutritional therapist, I'd taken some of her advice, my health started to improve just really quickly and really positively. I then kind of didn't like the dependency on her needing her to tell me what supplements I should take, and suddenly was like, I need to know this for myself. And so that was why I went to study it. So it was entirely self-motivated. The whole course was just sort of my journey, my experience. That's the best way, isn't it? And often the way with a passion. Exactly. You just can't keep it in. That's how I feel a little bit with this work that I do. I just want to share it. Yes, yes. Well, that was exactly how I felt once I'd graduated because by then my health was... It just wasn't even an issue. I was thriving and I just suddenly thought... I wonder if I could actually do this, yeah. you know. And Especially when you see other people struggling in the way that you were. That's how I feel yes, with, yes. with mother kind. Yes, it's such a nice way to be able to share it. Well, it's so yeah. positive. Yeah, I had that same aha moment with food. And I actually think once you've had that, you can't really go back. Mm. I was quite disconnected as well. Sort of would eat and I never had disordered eating or anything like that. Mm. But just like you say, I hadn't squared the equation in my head that what I ate affected how I felt. Yes. I yes. didn't get that. Yeah. And then I can't remember, I think I read a book by Chris Carr or someone like that and I just thought, oh my God, mm. what I'm putting in my body, it sounds so obvious, doesn't it? Sorry everyone, but I didn't know this. What, <laughs> I know, but so many people What I put don't. in my body affects my mood, yeah. affects how I feel about life, affects my energy levels Your and at sleep. the time, my sleep, everything. Yeah. And at the time I was the same as you, I was early 20s working in London I'd have a croissant for breakfast from Costa on the way in Mm. sandwich or a salad if I was feeling healthy for Mm. lunch you know Mm. it was quite quite healthy diet like it wasn't gorging I wasn't eating pizza every night but I just felt same as you like a low level yes exhaustion all the time and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with a croissant or a sandwich or anything like that it's not that they're nutritionally void they're not junk food they're not sort of dead food But it was just, I didn't appreciate that my diet was lacking in so many important nutrients. Yeah, I just, yeah, it was the educational piece to me. So it's not to say if someone's doing those things, there's nothing wrong with them. But, you know, the reason why in my third book I created the Positive Nutrition Pyramid was to try and help people just double check. It's like a tick box, you know, okay, that's fine if you're eating those things, but are you eating this stuff? Are you actually getting enough food each day to provide all of the essential nutrients, vitamins and minerals and fats, etc., that we need in order to be healthy and our best, most vibrant selves? So that's why it's called positive, because it's not meant to shame or blame or make people think about what they're not yeah. supposed to eat. Because yeah. it's not saying you can't eat the croissant or the sandwich or the bit of cake or the glass of wine. It's not saying any of that, but it's just saying that they're not nutritional and this is what is and this is what you need to be eating, which is actually quite a lot of food. Yeah. And I think given that our culture has really shifted quite dramatically towards focusing on what you shouldn't eat and deprivation and certainly with weight management or health it's like about what you're not eating or you know going hungry is the way forward and that's just so wrong from a nutritional and health 
hormonal fertility, all of the stuff that your listeners are probably interested in. We need to eat. Yeah. And quite a lot. Yeah. And that was my big awakening as well. It's not only what I was eating affected everything in my life, but I started Mm. to look at food as like, what's this giving my body? Mm. Which was just such Mm. a shift for me. Yes. And actually what I found from that is that the rules, not that I really had many rules, but I didn't need them. Mm. Because I'd look at the cost and I'd be like, what's that giving me? Mm. A bit, Mm. you know, a little Mm. bit of carbs, a bit of sugar, maybe, you know. But then I'd look at something else, but actually I can see that that's giving my body what it might Mm. need to mm. function mm. my natural next step on that journey was to start to really connect with my body and I started to feel grateful for it and I started to research a bit of all the functions that it was doing for me yes. to keep me going to work to keep me seeing to keep me all the things that I wanted to do in my life and it, yeah it was it was a I, real awakening actually I think that's the bit that I enjoyed about studying nutrition the most was learning how the body works and, <gasps> and how all of our organs are connected and how there's this lovely synergy between oh, it just blows our body my mind. functions that for me was just I mean I could go back and study that year after year after year I loved it maybe I need to go and study that <laughs> I just I do a lot of reading around it because I'm just mm. absolutely mm. blown away mm. and the same I think through growing a baby oh gosh that's I was whole... like sometimes I still look at Jessie I'm like I can't believe it. Yes. my body with zero interference from my thinking mind mm. just created this perfect yes. little yes yes amazing i couldn't agree more amazing. i look at it every day and just wow do you find that pregnancy with clients and people you talk to is sometimes a way into thinking more about what they're eating i don't know that i've worked with fertility it's not an area that i've really specialized in so i don't think i've attracted lots of clients so i don't want to suggest that i've had much experience yeah. in this area i've had a few clients that have been relatively healthy and I've helped them, guided them a little bit. What I've noticed is that, and I think all women relate to this, you know, we're good at looking after others, but not so good at looking after ourselves. And so I think when women want to become pregnant, that that's when they'll suddenly pay a bit more attention because they realise that they've got to grow a baby. And then it will very quickly shift onto how to feed their baby. And they're still not managing to put themselves up there Mm. as a priority. Mm. And probably a lot of the women that I've worked with are maybe with kids in teenage years and they're sort of suddenly going oh my god where's me I've lost me and I'll always talk to them there's that you'll know this from your Al-Anon experience but it's an Alcoholics Anonymous phrase that whatever you put before your recovery you stand to lose yeah exactly and I would always say that to clients that you know if you're putting everything else before yourself you have the potential of losing them because if you're not around to be a good mum, you're going to lose your kids. You lose yourself, yeah. Well, you lose yourself, but, you know, you've got to be alive in order to be a good mum to your kids and to be a good wife and have your career, Mm -hmm. etc. And so I'm always trying to get mums to put themselves back up at the top and learn how that actually filters down into their family and their work and their every life better. But it's very easy as a practitioner to talk to clients about that and also as someone who hasn't become a mum, but now I'm in it. Let's talk I'm about in it. exactly let's talk, let's the same talk about that. So how have you managed to... Have you I wouldn't say I've managed it yet. No, no, I wouldn't say. I think I'm maybe just starting to. So Willow's about to be a year next week and... I definitely feel like a fog has started to lift, but I've been quite shocked at how foggy mm. and exhausted and, yeah, just not myself I haven't mm. felt. And I don't know if that's just been a combination of hormones rebalancing and adjusting. And then obviously there's the lack of sleep, which for me, I don't understand why more mums don't talk about it or why it's so generalised and why everyone talks about it and everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, the lack of sleep as if it's just something funny. Just a little Absolutely thing. Absolutely horrific. 
yeah. I have been shocked at my lack of ability to cope with it and I think I'm just someone that really, really needs her sleep. And I think most people, we need our sleep. But it amazes me how some people are able to just get on with it and they don't whinge about it. And I'm having that chat with myself now going, OK, Amelia, you've got to stop whinging about it. You're just going to have to accept and adjust to this because no, it's see, going to... see, I think it's really important that we take that almost shaming of ourselves off. I think talking in a considered way, like mm. with the postnatal depletion, Dr. Oscar mm. Sarah, talking in a considered and informed way about the impact of that mm. lack of sleep is so important. Yes. So, so I don't see it as whinging. I see it as, as really, really important that we start talking more about how hard that it, is. Yes. But I suppose what I've experienced, because I agree, I'm definitely a sharer. I say what's going on if people ask. I'm not someone that just goes, oh, yes, everything's fine. Mm. Although I have been sharing that I have found the lack of sleep utterly debilitating. And it's impacted every area of my life, just from my outlook, from my ability to work, from my food choices, my energy cravings, from just everything. And yet people tend to slightly wash over it when you say it and it's made me realize I'm going to really listen more when mums share this kind of stuff because I think we've got so used to hearing it that on the whole people just go yeah yeah it's normal as opposed to actually understanding how utterly well, debilitating that, it and is. And I think that's what happened when Dr Oscar wrote that article mm. about six years ago on Goop you know Gwyneth Paltrow's yes. site about postnatal depletion and saying actually how because of the sleep deprivation change in hormones mm. up to seven years you can experience mm. that fog mm. his study oh, no. show don't tell me yeah i know sorry i don't think it does because i definitely had depletion and two and a half years in slightly over i feel but i think awareness because yeah. i feel his books really helped me to be aware yeah. it's definitely made me take more supplements take yeah. my zinc yeah. check myself make yeah. sure that i take yeah. the naps i mean i remember one of the things that he said on your podcast which just instantly i was like right I was doing that sort of once Willow went down to bed at seven o'clock, I was sort of going, oh, I've got my hands free. I've got time to do stuff. I wasn't actually achieving anything in my evenings, but now I've just started going to bed. Yeah. And it's really made a difference. He said that, you know, like you were saying before about that triangle with almost like with your nutritional triangle. He says put sleep at the top of that triangle and make it non-negotiable. Yes. Well, Um, I've definitely started to do that and I explained it to Nick and he said, yeah, totally get it. Just do what you need to do. Yeah. But that um, article crashed the site. Yes. And I think that's because of what you and I are just talking about here, mm. how so many mums had been like, yeah, it's really hard. Mm. Yeah, you're tired. Even from health professionals. Mm. Like mums tell me they go to their GP mm. and they're told, yeah, motherhood's, you know, yeah, you're tired, whatever. It's just sort um, of accepted. Yeah, it's accepted. Normal, and therefore, because we all experience it. And because every mum experiences it, I think. Yeah. So I think putting that phrase around it like he did and saying, this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. I think so many women felt heard mm-hmm. and seen and validated, mm-hmm. just like they will from hearing you talk about it. Because I think there is this perception that someone like you who clearly knows how to look after your body and your mind and mm-hmm. that for you to have experienced that same fog well, is so... not great, that sounds weird, but it's great for people so to hear. It's important to talk about it yeah. because... How on earth are we expected to just function and get on with normal lives at the same capacity that we were before? I mean, that's what I found probably the loneliest and most isolating part of becoming a mum. I mean, Willow's just fabulous all day. I absolutely couldn't be more grateful and find her a bigger source of joy. It's not Willow. I don't have any problems with my bonding, my connection, Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. becoming a Mm mum. It's more 
how you move forward in the rest of your life and everyone else's expectations. And I just found even good friends or other mums, they're still emailing you saying, can you do this? Can you do that? And they're not understanding that. I was just sort of going, you know, just the amount of emails that I receive and just trying to respond to them when I suddenly had less than a third of the time that I had in the past to manage the same amount of work. And that and for me... a third of the energy. Far less of the energy and also yeah. the headspace because I was suddenly learning about what my daughter's needs were and thinking you suddenly have to order all of this new stuff and there's just so many new things that yeah, you have to think about and well, it's quite unique in that transition because it's something that you overnight have to absorb all this new stuff exactly and, and there's just as everyone says there's no guidebook I think my experience it's a sort of loneliness not I mean I'm a really self-sufficient person it's not loneliness and that I, I needed people to come and hold my hand it was just like an isolation where I was trying mm-hmm. to say I'm finding this really hard. I can't function. I can't respond to your emails. I can't be who you want me to be at the moment because it was almost dismissed and almost not understood. And I think even Nick expected me to still be achieving well, yeah. all of the same things. Guy I used to, to get achieve. home and be like, what's for dinner? I'd be like, <laughs> uh, there's nothing in the fridge and there's no dinner because I've been <laughs> breastfeeding all day. <laughs> like, what? But I think until you've gone through it. Exactly. Like, you just can't really find the words I mean when people say it's life-changing I used to hear that and go yeah yeah life-changing oh great bring it on but I don't think I was remotely prepared for having to completely learn a completely new way of existing and accepting that the way that I knew my life before was going to change dramatically so to answer because you asked me this question ages ago I feel like I'm just emerging I feel like it's taken me a year I wish to god that I had given myself a year to just be a mum and not expect to be running my business. I had this ridiculous idea that because I worked from home and worked for myself, I would be able to do both. I thought it must be so hard for a mum who has to leave the house in the morning and go to an office and be gone all day. That would be really hard. Whereas I can't say I can't work because I work from home. It's easy. <gasps> Little did I know. And that for me was awful because I'm normally very good with boundaries. I'm very good at saying no. I'm very organised and and have a good schedule and good Mm -hmm. routine around work. And that's something I've really struggled to learn how to put a new one in place and how to answer people's emails. Because I was still sort of trying. I was thinking, well, yes, I should do that. Of course I must do that. But not really being able to manage the amount of time it was going to take me to do it. I'm still just figuring it out, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just coming up for air the fog's just starting to lift I'm able to have conversations Mm. with you now and do podcasts because people have been asking me to do podcasts for all of the last year and I've just been saying no no because I just didn't feel that I was above water so when you found that real pinch point with trying to work and obviously have Willow and at home and how did you navigate that did you it's good to get specific sometimes like did you put time boundaries around it did you get help with Willow did you just stop working like once you had the awareness of yes. that that was the real challenge what did you do I next? think I've been flapping around for a long time and I'm only just starting to okay. figure it out so I'm now starting to be incredibly structured with my time and I've worked out that I've got about 12 hours free a week where I wow, can work okay. And that to me was really enlightening to work out that actually I used to work 24-7 and it was completely up to me and now it's about 12 hours and that's because I'm trying to allocate time for me to exercise because it's time for me to really put my well-being first, which has been at the bottom of the list for this first year. You know, I don't have my evenings anymore because I'm prioritising my sleep and I'm obviously prioritising my nutrition, which has always been, that's automatic for me. I want to ask you about that in a bit, how that's changed. But exercise, because I'm trying to lose my baby weight, which hasn't fallen off as easily as I expected it to. So exercise is a new thing that I'm factoring in. And then I want to make sure that I've got 
quality time with Nick on top of having quality time with Willow every day. So yes, I've got about 12 hours of work to do. So now I'm being incredibly selective of, okay, what projects can I accept? What's going to bring me joy? Mm -hmm. What can I give this time to? Mm -hmm. That's only just started to happen. But yes, going back sort of around January, February, when Willow was about five months, when I suddenly really was in this period of, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I can't do it. And again, that's not about Willow. It's just life. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then I did get in help. I remember another mum just saying, just delegate whatever you can so that you can do the bits that you want to do. But it's really easy to end up delegating your baby. Like if you get a nanny, they can take your baby off and then that's just time for you to have a shower and breathe and everything. But then that's something that I'm constantly trying to work out. I don't want to just delegate Willow so that I can work. I want to make sure that I do the fun stuff with Willow and get someone else to do the work or the boring bits, the admin, the housework, all of that sort of stuff. So I still haven't figured it out. No, I mean, I haven't either. And I think that's just the age old tension Yes. Is that like you and I, like our work, my work is my passion and I like, mm. feel the same about yours. So, and it's a big part of me. Yes. As is spending time with Jesse, as is spending time with friends. I mean, yes. God, you're trying to socialise. Yes. It's just no wonder, like when, it's really solidified this in my mind, you describing the breakdown of your day and the things you've got to do in that way. Mm. It's just no wonder that we experience so much overwhelm that can then lead to anxiety and, yes. and guilt and stress yes. and so we're trying to do things the same way, but actually we nothing just is the same. And saying the same. that, the 12 hours thing yes. is really helpful, I yes. think, to encourage people, break down, like, what time have you got? Yes, and how work? do you want to spend and, yeah. it, and what are your priorities? And, yeah, it's quite enlightening for me, because I obviously used to work a hell of a lot more than 12 hours. Yeah. But, you know, I'm employing some team to work with me and other nutritional therapists to see mm. some clients and keep that side of the clinic work going and... It's an experiment, and it's lovely now for me to be feeling like I can actually do something about it, whereas I definitely spent about six months just going, whoa, whoa, and sort of complaining. And, and Nick's amazing. He just, what can I do? You know, he's a practical person, and he just took as much admin as he could off of my desk and tried to help out as practically. And, you know, said, we can get a nanny, we can get help, we can... But it still sort of just took a long time for me to get my head yeah in place with it all and be okay with it all and but also know. it's really difficult to you know have all these moving parts all the expectations on those moving parts the shoulds like you say yes. should be back at work should do this should spend time should and, and everyone else's I keep going back to it but that's what made me feel so lonely was that everyone else had sort of forgot like other mums because maybe their kids are older they'd kind of forgotten and they were into their phase. And it was just that sort of everyone else was still expecting me to be, not even my mum was expecting me to be me. And I was trying to kind of say, I'm not me anymore. I'm this new person. I don't quite know who she is. Yeah. Or how she works or how she functions. I mean, I'm still the same in my heart and my knowledge is there, but I don't quite know me at the moment. Yeah, and that, that makes really That was my lonely. Yeah. Yeah, that lonely was my experience. experience as well. Especially when things that I used to love, like going out, for example... Mm. I stopped getting as much joy. I was like, God, and that could be really disconcerting mm. when things change. But also I think, so you're trying to figure out how is this all going to work with all these moving parts and everything else around that, but equally through the fog and the exhaustion. Yes. So it's not surprising to you. you know, that's my that experience clarity. as well. You can't really think clearly. No, no. And you think, yeah, I had some kind of crazy decisions. And, and <laughs> Did you? <laughs> Any funny ones you can no, share? I can't really think of them now, but no. I just remember some things that, you know, with work, 
that I was thinking, right, this is how I'm going to do things. And then suddenly now I'm looking back, oh my goodness. Yeah, that would never (laughs) But I'm glad I didn't really sort of, I just took my time. So to answer your question again, which you asked ages ago, I did kind of stop working and I did just say no. And I did just sort of put boundaries in place to give me some time to figure it out. Yeah. And that's actually been the last six months. So I'm just kind of coming out. you feel better as a result? Well, you said you feel like you're coming out. I feel like I'm coming out. I feel like I'm starting to get clarity on how to move forward, on how to make this new life work. Yeah. But of course, we know with babies, it's a constant series of phases. And so I'm kind of just figuring it out at the moment with Willow the way she is. But, you know, she's Mm. about to start walking. And so I know that things are going to change again. And It's like your fluidity philosophy with eating, isn't it? I think we have to have that mental and structural fluidity around our lives. And if we haven't been taught how to do that, if we have... If we're trying to be controlling and So many of us control to feel safe in the world. And, of course, you throw in a baby and all this change. And I think a lot of the clients I work with one-on-one, that's what's happened. Mm. Those two worlds have just collided. Mm. And and it's almost like it's unbearable, Mm. the the internal stress and tension Mm. that that can create. Yes. So awful, isn't it? Yes, it's the most important time and the most... We always say this about it is such a beautiful time and such yeah. an incredible, you know, to yeah. discover that love for mm. another being and to watch them grow and to care for them. And it's just such a monumental and incredible time. And yet it's actually such a source of anxiety, tension, misery, pain, upset, yeah. isolation, loneliness, everything at the same time. And it's just, gosh, I remember one of my nutritional friends, we studied nutrition together one of the times when I was first pregnant that didn't work out she said to me it's literally going to be the best and the worst all of the time <laughs> and I was like that's a bit harsh that's a bit brutal and it's I true, totally isn't it? get what she means yeah it's like the biggest dichotomy of life isn't it is that it's absolutely joyful and yet it can be the hardest thing mm-hmm. I think I know I'll ever do yes. is trying to figure out this yeah. way through it yes and then and it's just so hard to talk about it which is why I just so applaud you for what you're doing oh, because you're you providing some depth to it all because I think what I found is you know I'll be honest in the past I just didn't pay attention to anything to do with mums I wasn't really reading about it because it wasn't my time and yet when you're in it you suddenly start looking around at what's out there and there just isn't a lot of depth there's lots of mums being really honest about the struggles which I think is refreshing and appealing people don't really want to see people going oh it's magical and glowy and blissful which of course it is we have those moments too yeah of course yeah but I think it's nice that you're bringing depth to the oh, conversation. Thank you. Yeah, that was my mission. I mean, I've always been quite a deep thinker. When I had Jesse, that's what I was looking for, and I couldn't find those right. types of conversations. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought I'd better do something about it. I think you're going to have to write a guidebook, a sort well, of manual. Yeah, with interest, lots of interesting you say that. <laughs> good, good, good. <laughs> and I know we're going to finish shortly, but everyone is going to want me to ask you this because okay. of what you do, just okay. about how has your diet changed since you've become a mum have you had to switch up to get more energy what have you done and, and I know you don't like giving specific advice but people are going to tell me off if I don't ask okay you. okay <laughs> well um I think it's again it's a series of phases so breastfeeding for me was I had never experienced hunger like it it was like it was like oh yeah did you get the thirst I did get the thirst Gosh. but I was really thirsty throughout my pregnancy okay. so that, I don't remember the thirst as much but I was drinking a lot of water but I remember just feeling like there was a huge hole in my stomach I couldn't fill it up so I was shocked at how much I needed to eat during my whole breastfeeding experience which was six months 
Oh, wow, well done. Um, so I was eating sort of every two hours big bowls of porridge. I mean, I was eating the things that I can... Same sort of food that you were eating before. I was still eating healthy food, yeah. although I talked about this yesterday. I did a podcast recording with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. I craved sugar like I have never experienced before. Did you? Or, I mean, that's wrong because I used to eat a lot of sugar in my early days, yeah. before my nutritional days. It was like I was sort of going back to those days and that well, I motherhood added, does that. Yes. Mother, you I, go back to your blueprint. My goodness. So that was kind of what I wanted was toast and sweet cups of tea. And I definitely oh, so good, did in breastfeeding. I was having lots You're of having sugar porridge. in your tea. I added sugar to my tea. Well, I blame the hospital because... People are going to love hearing this, that yeah. Amelia put sugar in your tea. Oh, God. I, throughout <laughs> breastfeeding, I just... Like, again, I associate no shame with that. Yes, yeah, I mean, great. That's no why I'm celebrating it. it because I think... starving and I needed the energy yeah. and I was so exhausted. And I, I felt like I just constantly needed to be fueling myself and, and sugar is the fastest yeah. way and sometimes a salad wasn't doing it a bowl of quinoa wasn't doing it I was adding starchy carbs to every meal which is something that obviously I didn't used to do and I'm not doing now but at that time I needed the energy yeah I remember one day I had spent a horrible day with Willow in hospital in the emergency oh, no. um, in Salisbury and Willow wasn't that unwell but the doctor said they had to check her out but I was around lots of really really sick kids and it was emotionally draining and so upsetting to watch and to see and obviously I hadn't eaten because I hadn't expected it to be all day and I remember walking out of the hospital and looking at the sweet shop on the left and seeing a twirl and that twirl spoke to me in a way that a bar of chocolate has never spoken to me and I just had to buy that twirl and I devoured that twirl and like it wouldn't be my chocolate of choice now it's not something that I fight to resist I don't enjoy those things at all but oh my god I needed that instant sugar yeah and yeah, so there definitely yeah. became a bit of a twirl habit every time I was struggling Nick nice. say, like a twirl, twirl yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but don't you think your body like my body definitely tells me what it needs mm. yeah I mean this was a time that my body spoke loud and clearly and I'm yeah. not saying that my body was telling me I needed twirls or, or sugar but it was a hunger and energy so porridge, potatoes, lots of quinoa I created the Detox Kitchen, which is a delivery oh, yeah. place in London. They got in touch with me because they were creating a sort of new mama meal delivery box, which I think is lovely for breastfeeding mums or just new mums. doesn't have to be breastfeeding. And they wanted me to sort of provide some of the research and some of the wording for it. So I was researching for it just before I gave birth to Willow. So it was fascinating for me to look at it and everything. And, and anyway, so they very kindly sent me some of the meal deliveries once Willow was born. And, you know, I devoured it within the first hour of the day and that was meant to be my day's food. That That is... <laughs> the hunger that That's I'm talking so about and I remember saying to one of my girlfriends who gave birth three months after me you've just got to prepare for this hunger you need so many packets of porridge and you need to have your freezer full and and she just didn't have any of it so she's like I don't know what you're talking about I'm not hungry wow. at all yeah we're all so, so we're different. just so different yeah, but so different. my experience was sugar cravings just absolute need for energy I gave into that I ate as much as I wanted as much as I needed to ensure that I could continue to breastfeed willow and ensure that I could sort of keep my energy up and then obviously once I stopped breastfeeding my appetite decreased massively yeah, yeah. but it took me a while to wean myself off I got the used twirls. to having carbs no I wasn't eating the twirls <laughs> I'm only joking I wasn't but it took, I mean my appetite did return kind of to normal and it was a good time because it was around spring so my kitchen garden kicked in so I started to connect with food again and I was growing that food and picking that food and the weather changes so salads are more appealing mm. and that sort of stuff mm. but I'd probably still eat more of the carbs just because I've kind of got into that habit and I'm kind of used to feeling more full. So I'm slowly 
adapting and adjusting and changing but again um, but that's just again I know I've said it a few times in the podcast but it's such an important message I think for me to hear and everyone else is just your philosophy around fluidity yeah. and and just the positivity around food and if you haven't ever looked at Amelia's books I don't recommend that many nutritional and cookbooks actually but I do really really recommend that you have a look at them thank you because they are so accessible and just make so much sense and you've got some lovely sections about mindful eating and emotional eating and just it's yeah. not one-dimensional your work and I think that's what I well because we are not one exactly and so exactly. we've got to work with people and we are all unique so certainly my third book Nourish and Glow the 10 day mm. plan is the one that you're talking about yeah. lots of people sort of think it's just a 10 day plan and nothing else but that's at the back of the book and that's almost the smallest part of the book but it is a great 10 day plan that anyone can follow you can add more to it if you're breastfeeding you can take away if you're trying to lose weight you can tailor it to your needs wherever you're at but the majority of the book is actually looking at the challenges that we face and why people have become so rigid or so fearful of food or so feeling a need to control and actually that just takes away the joy of being healthy takes away the joy the whole point of trying to eat well and enjoy those health benefits if you're doing it from a place of stress or anger or anxiety it is not the point Mm. and Mm. the goal is always about it being fluid and joyful and not feeling that there's a whole load of rules to follow I'm just enjoying it absolutely enjoying the benefits and enjoying the food and I think if you give yourself permission to enjoy it rather than see it as a diet and a regime and a set of rules and I think it makes the whole process a lot easier and choosing the food it's all about the mindset isn't it that we bring to it and that's what you talk about so eloquently in the book so I do recommend that everyone has a look and I ask everyone the same question at the end of every interview so the question is if you could give one gift to all the mums in the world oh crumbs yeah sorry it's a big Ah, question (laughs) what would it what would it be and why I mean, obviously, you know, you just want to give them biggest hug, which I'm sure everyone says. No, no one said that before, actually. Really? No one said a big hug, I don't think. God, I just feel like mums need the biggest hug. But I think probably if anything, it's to be heard, the gift of being heard. I'm not saying that, you know, I haven't been heard because I've got great support in my life. But it's just that sort of, for me, it's been that isolation mm. of feeling a bit sort of like, whoa, I'm in this and just because everyone else has done it doesn't mean that I can't talk about it. That's beautiful and so important to feel seen and heard. Mm. Totally agree. Mm. Well, thank you so much. It's been a deep, deep joy and privilege. So thank you. Thank you, Zoe. So that's it. Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends that they might benefit from what we were chatting about then just tag them in on Instagram my bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there people often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends so if that's you then please do I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide so help me make that happen I'd be very grateful and also if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe and also just to let you know about my coaching so I do work one-on-one with mums on my program which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You so if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life 
then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.